we have a very, very, very special announcement this morning from the Bridge, the Mosley family. Uh, so why don't you guys come on up and I will hand it over. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so this morning, uh, we're excited again that we get to celebrate some uh, graduations from the program. We got two guys that are graduating today. I'm going to have you guys come on up, Spencer and Mike. right there all right so uh, for those who don't know the bridge restoration ministry here in Napa is a 12-month residential discipleship program um, it is a sufficiency model program meaning Christ is enough um, and the awesome thing about this some of the guys come in as believers already you know maybe just struggling in their faith or you know understanding how to apply uh, you know practical theology I guess and then some guys come in not knowing Christ at all um, Spencer was one of those guys, came in, non-believer. Um, God's really moving in this program. God's drawing men to himself and transforming lives. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty radical. So if you guys don't know about it and you, wanna, you have some questions, you can ask myself or my wife, ask the guys in the program what's going on and what, what, about, what God's doing ultimately in this community. So this, this program was a, is sent out from this church. We're our own entity. Uh, but this is like the church you're involved in is we're making an impact in this community for the sake of Christ. And um, it's pretty radical. So it's not just about the guys that come into the house and what God's doing in them, but what God's doing through them as well and their families and the community. Um, I mean, these guys are out sharing the gospel, praying for people. I mean, I'm challenged by some of our graduates and the things that they're doing, just so you know. So um, it's, it's pretty awesome. We get to be ministered to at the same time. So anyways... Um, I'm going to pass it over to my wife real quick, and I'm going to close this up and then pray for the guys. And uh, this truly is a day to celebrate. I mean, this, like I said, the program is a year, and it is very difficult. It's not, this is not an easy program. It takes a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of work, um, and there's so much growth that happens in this year. And for those of you guys who know these two, you, you've, I'm sure, seen the growth. Um, for the first six months, I think I heard Mike say like four words. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, cooling, this junk, stuff like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> but through the last six months, just so much growth. And, and Mike's, our, Mike's actually our uh, ministry assistant, one of our house managers, our house manager. Uh, we try to raise the guys up in leadership as well, and he's been uh, just a real big gift to us, and we're, we're kind of sad to, to lose him because uh, they're going to be moving into our second phase house. So now I'm going to pass it over. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, graduation day is my favorite day, and um, it's a day that we get to um, thank the Lord and glorify him for all that he has done in the lives of these guys and to um, honor them for the work that they've put in and the commitment that they have made um, to seeking the Lord and to allowing him to transform their lives. And it's been a real joy and a privilege. And I love what uh, Pastor Matt prayed this morning, that um, God invites us into his work that he's doing. And that's how we feel here at the bridge. We get to be invited into the work that God is doing in, um, especially these two guys' lives right now. And um, it's just a real joy and privilege to watch. They came in a year ago yesterday and um, 
Spencer's from Ohio and Mike's from Atlanta and they landed uh, an hour apart at Sacramento Airport and Aaron picked them up and they got here and were just thrown right into the mix of things, making pizzas, we left for Shasta, there all kinds of things. So they were a little uh, bewildered when they got here um, and we had a pretty steady house um, that was kind of a go, 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 lots of activity, lots of things happening and these two are a lot more just mellow, easygoing too and so it was a it's a bit of a change it was a change for me we have to kind of grow and adapt as as the house changes and new guys come in and so I was in go 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 mode and these two are like hey what do you want to do and they're like nothing I was like oh my gosh like they just want to sit here and sit down I don't know what are we going to do with this um but these two have really uh, grown in my heart um, the last, uh, especially the last six months as we've really gotten to know them. Same thing, I think I had my first conversation with Mike about three months ago in, uh, in Hawaii where he started opening up. We had this like conversation going and Cole's like, stop talking to my guys, we're working. And I was like, stop it, he's talking to me. I need to talk to him. <laughs> So it's just been real neat to get to know them and to see Mike has a real quietness um, about him, but a real strength in there. He's very kind. He's very generous. He's um, very trustworthy. We've really been able to lean on him to get um, stuff done and around the house. And um, just a real confidence in the Lord. And it's just been really neat to see him um, just grow in that and have a real peace. And he brings a real peace to the house and anyone who's around him. And uh, Spencer, Spencer's one I can always count on to do something. He's always got some idea, something that he can do. And like uh, for the holidays, he's always my go-to to lean on for, hey, can you help me make this? He's a cook. And can you do this? And like, yeah, sure, I'll do this. And then like print out a recipe for him. Hey, can you make this for me? And then when I get there, he's like, oh, Jackie, I don't know if it went so well. I kind of, uh, and I was like, did you follow the recipe? He's like, nah, I kind of did my own thing. <laughs> It's okay. He's, he was, Spencer, he always knows better. He's always got good ideas about things. He's always ready to jump in and help, and he can always be depended on. And so I really appreciated um, both of those, um, both of these guys for their dependability, their commitment to the Lord, and just the, um, just the, the real sweetness that they have brought to this house and to the program. So congratulations, you guys. You've been a huge blessing to us, and we love you so much. All right, yeah, Jackie pretty much summed it up really well. Um, both these brothers have been a huge, a huge blessing to the house, to our family, um, and have really, you know, each guy brings a, a unique dynamic to the house, um, and it really is a family-style environment, and yeah, there's difficulties like there is in any, any family, really, but um, it's, it's pretty awesome how the Lord, I mean, specifically with these two, used them in, in different ways, you know what I mean, uh, in the house to help grow the house, um, you know, in different ways and to help minister to the guys in the house. And um, they both, their personalities are both, uh, like my wife said, they're both very, you know, mellow, laid back, open, respectful. Um, you know, when Spencer came in, I mean, every other word out of his mouth was a profanity. And now he's, I mean, just the, like I said, the radical change that's taken place. I mean, I don't think I've heard him use uh, profanity in months and months and months. So um, praise God, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the evidence right there of some heart change, you know, and so, you know, we love you guys, and like I said, they're going to move into our second phase house, which is a, more like a sober living style house. They're working, 
Um, both these brothers are working, working hard, and um, will still be here at the church, so we're still blessed to be able to have them. So now we want to go ahead and give them their uh, certificates of completion. So let me have Mike's here. Here we go, Mr. Mike Pitts. You know. Yeah. And Spencer Christian. <laughs> All right, we've taken up a little bit of time here. Uh, sorry, Pastor Rob, we're cutting into the word here, but do you guys have uh, kind of a 30-second blast? You guys would like to say anything to the church? Uh, I, won't, I won't say too much because I tend to get emotional. So, um, you know, I'm just thankful for the church. I'm real thankful to y'all. You know, I don't talk a lot, but um, I, I love y'all, and y'all done a whole lot just to sacrifice y'all made for the bridge. I appreciate that. And um, I was thinking the other day where I was a year ago. I mean, it got rough to the point where I called Pastor Rob, and here I am today. But I was thinking how I got there, and it boiled down to the separation from God. So I know if, if, if I'm connected to God, if I'm seeking God, if I'm yielding to the Spirit, if I'm following Christ, I know where I'm going to end up at. And that's the same for everybody. If we ain't following Christ, I don't know, some people might be good doing it on their own, but I'm not. I ain't like that. You know, I'm going to be at the bottom. It's going to get worse and worse. So I would just encourage anybody and everybody to seek the Lord with their whole heart and let Christ just reign in our life that that he may be glorified, that, that, that whatever purpose he got for whoever may be accomplished. And when it's all said and done, that he just be glorified. And that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I had uh, lots of needs coming in here, but uh, the biggest one was... Um, the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as a hopeless sinner and addict. Um, I had no hope and was pretty much just rationalizing um, death as my way out. Um, the Father heard my cries. He brought me to the bridge. Um, Holy Spirit allowed me to accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and put just uh, faithful, godly women and men around me. Um, all y'all, uh, Anthony Dixon, wherever he's at, the Bridge Brothers, um, and of course the Mosleys. Um, I give them a compliment, but they just like hot potato that right to Christ. So. That's why they're, <laughs> that's what makes them so awesome. Um, so uh, praise the Lord, and I uh, thank everybody for their, their prayers and their support at this time. For my family um, who's watching back home, um, love you guys, um, and, and for my father. So thank you guys. Okay, I'm going to pray for these guys, and then uh, we're going to get the service started. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do in the, the lives of these men. Even as we stand here listening to them, I kind of just stand back and say, well, that's all glory to Christ right there. The words that are coming out of their mouth, Father, we, we just give all the credit to you, Father. It's all you and you alone doing this work. And I just pray that you'd continue to move and work in their lives, continue to sanctify them and enable them to, to grow in their knowledge of you and to live their life before men, to be lights in this dark world, Father, that some might be one to Christ uh, through them, using them as tools in your hands, Father. So bless them as they go forth here. May they always commit you first, put you first in their life. May you always be the one thing above all things in their life, Lord. So bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, boys.
I just want to say again, um, you know, Spencer, Mike, so incredibly proud of you guys. Uh, it is a very hard program. A year is a long time in a, uh, in a, in a, a ministry like that. And you guys just came through with flying colors. And, uh, you know, I had the privilege to mentor Mike. Me and him go way back, good friends from years ago. And uh, I just praise God for the ability to do that. And Spencer, man, just seeing you come in and come to faith in Christ and get so excited about the Word of God. And, uh, man, it's just, that's what, uh, that's what it's all about, you know. It just makes all this so worth it. And so I just thank our church for being so supportive and praying and um, serving, giving, everything that it takes to have something like this. Uh, you know, this was a dream in mine and Jess's heart. And we, uh, you know, I remember a couple years ago did a message just talking about it and uh, casting the vision, and here it is. And God is good, and He's moving, and it's, it's a glorious thing to behold. Amen? Well, I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we will get into the message. Father, we love you, and uh, we come to you in humble dependence. Lord, please help me as I... Uh, as I work to minister to the body of Christ today, as I labor in your word to try to build up the saints and to equip the saints and to bring much glory and honor to your holy name. And so I thank you, Father, that you have been glorified. I pray that you continue to be glorified. I thank you that you are here. Lord, you are with us. You are indwelling in us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would please open our hearts to receive the things that are said today. These are big, lofty, glorious truths, far beyond our ability to comprehend as finite beings. But by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you can open our eyes and our hearts, and you can change us from the inside out by your word. And I know that's our desire here today. So please help us and be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, hallelujah. Here we go. So over the last few weeks... We've been working our way through John chapter 6, and we've been dealing with the issue of testing, testing. And so we talked about the, the distinction between temptations and testings. We talked about the reason why God does test us, to reveal things in our hearts that need to go and to ultimately purify those things. It kind of speaks of the, the purification process when he turns up the heat. And he stretches us out, and he puts us in difficult situations where we have to actually put into practice the things that we're learning. And uh, testing is good. We don't like it. I don't like it. Oftentimes, we don't even realize that that's what's happening, that we're being tested. But it is God's method. That is the way that he goes about sanctifying us, making into us into Christ's image. And so we've been talking about that. And Jesus had spent quite a bit of time ministering to his disciples, teaching them, instructing them, testing them. But then he turned his attention to the crowd, the crowd that had been following uh, for some time now. It was a, a multifaceted kind of a crowd. You had people that wanted to see more of the miracles. You had people that wanted to eat more of that bread that Jesus miraculously provided. You had people that wanted Jesus to become the king and to overthrow Rome. So you had the political opportunists. You kind of had it all. And now where Jesus is at, there's another element, a dynamic to the crowd, and it's more of the religious folks where Jesus touched down at. We're told he's at a synagogue, and Jesus is now dealing with that crowd, 
And what he's doing ultimately is testing them and revealing their unbelief, that they don't actually believe. And so um, that's the context of where we're at, but that's not where we're going to be today. We're going to take just a one-week break from the Gospel of John because I want to set the stage for what's coming over the next few weeks. And so Jesus has been testing the people. He's continuing to test them and to show them what's really going on in their hearts. But from this point and through the rest of the chapter, what becomes a very major theme in this chapter is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. God is in control. Jesus is in control. And so there's, there's a lot that needs to be said about the issue of the sovereignty of God. And as we work our way through the rest of John chapter 6, we are really going to get into the nuts and bolts of this. This is something that we're going to talk about for the next several, several weeks because this is really my opportunity, I think, just to dive as far down into it as we can, try to answer the questions, maybe deal with some of the historical uh, church history type um, arguments that have taken place along the way regarding this issue. And this is something that I have loved to learn about. It's something that I have leaned on heavily. I continue to lean on as a Christian, the sovereignty of God. So I'm very excited to be able to take today and the next couple of weeks and really dive deep into it. So you might be asking right now, what does that even mean? What is the sovereignty of God? Well, I have a few different definitions here, and I think they all kind of hit on different angles or aspects of it. And so I'm just going to read these to us. One definition says that the sovereignty of God is the Christian teaching that God is the supreme authority and all things are under his control. Amen. Another definition says that God's sovereignty is his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. God does all things in accordance with his own pleasure. Another definition, God has the rightful authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to bring about everything that he intends to happen. And therefore, everything he intends to come about does come about, which means God plans and governs all things. God is sovereign. One last one. Basically, God's sovereignty means that he is the supreme ruler who eminently and personally rules over all the affairs of the universe. And this includes our personal lives, both as individuals and as a local body of believers. God's sovereignty is a place of rest for the child of God, as well as a cause of worship. Amen? Amen and hallelujah. I praise God that He is indeed sovereign, that He is in control of all things, that He is governing all things, the affairs of life, all according to His own perfect will and His own pleasure for His own glory and for our own good. And so... I believe that the sovereignty of God, it really encompasses several elements. First, God is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, and He is all-wise. God has an eternal plan. God has an eternal plan, especially of salvation, that He purposed from eternity past. Some people refer to that as His eternal decree. And God is intimately involved in accomplishing His plan. God is intimately involved in accomplishing His plan. That's, that's good news for us. It's good news for me. 
Because there's a popular teaching out there, and a lot of people, whether they even know this or not, they just kind of live like this, naturally believing that there is a creator, there is some sort of a being or, an, or a power that has created all things, but he's just not interested, he, disinterested, uninvolved, far removed, just kind of winds everything up and lets it go and lets it unfold to whatever end that uh, it may finally reach. That's called deism. Now, there's another... Another, I don't know if you want to call it a version of that, but it's called open theism, and it's very similar. But in this, they say God himself doesn't even know how things are going to shake out. He's totally, he he really doesn't know. That's why the future is totally open. God doesn't even know. And so obviously that's, uh, that's all bad. That couldn't be farther from biblical orthodoxy, biblical truth. We know that God is in control of all things. He knows all things. He's all-powerful, all-wise. He has a plan, and He is intimately involved in accomplishing said plan. Amen? In Jeremiah, it says in chapter 23, verse 23, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? So God is intimately involved. Involved. There's nowhere that we can go where He is not. He fills the heaven and the earth. Isaiah 46, verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things that are not yet done. So God says, there is none like me, there is no other God but me, I declare the end from the beginning. God declares it. God doesn't just have knowledge of it, He sets these things in motion, and He already has His divine intention set, and He is working throughout all of history to bring His perfect purposes to pass. Our God is a very big God. Okay, he's not reactionary. He's not reactionary. He doesn't just react to the whims of sinful men and women. He's very much in control. He truly is purpose-driven. You know, we we like that phrase, the purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church. God is that, ultimately. And so, you know, the sovereignty of God, it's a big subject. And I would say that as we work our way through the rest of chapter 6 in the coming weeks, that's really the, the foundational teaching. And we really see it again in John chapter 10 when uh, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. Man, it, it, it comes up again very heavily there. So I'm looking forward to revisiting the subject when we get there. Now, let me just say this. I just want to kind of preface. This is a preface sermon for the coming weeks, and now I just want to preface the preface, all right? (laughs) When we talk about the sovereignty of God, this can be an extremely inflammatory subject for many people. There may be some who have no idea that that's even a thing within Christianity. You're very new to this, and it's it's kind of like, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And and that is all good, and uh, that's a great place to be. And over time, God takes us far beyond that. And we begin to realize that there are these deep, deep truths and debates taking place within Christianity that have been going on for a couple thousand years, really. 
And uh, I know that people have a variety of views when it comes to the sovereignty of God. And uh, really, a lot of times, it's basically, there's this spectrum, uh, and they pit the sovereignty of God against man's uh, responsibility or man's free will. And then some people will be on the spectrum where, you know, the Bible seems to teach, you know, both, that man is responsible for his actions and that he has free will, but that God at the same time is, is absolutely in control and all of his purposes will come to pass. And so there are some people that say, there's, it's, I see both, and so I just kind of have this middle ground. And then you have other people who are like, no, I see it as God's totally sovereign. He's in control of all things. Man's will is not free. And uh, you have that end of the spectrum. And then you got all the way to the other side of the spectrum where it's all man's free will, totally detached from any real dependence upon God to do right or wrong, to trust Christ or to reject and uh, it, it can go too far to the extreme on either end. And I don't really have time to get into all of how that plays out, but it does. And so some balance is required when we deal with this issue. And as I said, we have a variety of views on the matter. It's, a, it's really a spectrum, if you will. And I, I even for myself, on this spectrum over the years, I've gone kind of back and forth. The needle has kind of moved from one end to the other, back to the middle, and then you know, that's, I think in a lot of ways that's kind of how it is for Christians as we are, uh, you know, we come to know Christ in the beginning and then we spend the rest of our lives figuring out what that even means and uh, learning all these things that we didn't know that we didn't know. And as we do that, you know, our views, they change, they morph, they solidify, and uh, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's part of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and growing in the deep things of God. Amen. And so that's all good. And, you know, I recognize there are a number of scriptures that cause this to be a little bit more complicated because those do seem to be contradictory realities. God is completely in control, but man has some level of free will, autonomy, responsibility, and there are verses that seem to say both. So how in the world can that be? How can that be? The Bible is filled with these, uh, what we might say are seeming contradictions, but they're no contradiction at all. It's, there's a, a fancy word for that. It's called an antinomy. And that is to say there are really two parallel truths. That, you know, God is sovereign, but there is, man has responsibility. Um, God is triune, one God, three persons. Christ is truly God and truly man. Um, the Word of God, it's inspired, it's, you know, it's the Word of God, but it was written by men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And so this is consistent. It's just the mysteries of God. And I appreciate the mysteries of God, don't you? Because uh, I can't match intellect with God. I try, you know, I try, but I have found that to this date I haven't been able to do it, not quite. And so we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of the verses um, on a wide range of these issues as we work our way through John. We're going to slow way down, and we're going to deal with this. Um, but uh, I will say, let me preface the preface the preface here. Um, in this room, we have a variety of views on this issue. Even amongst our elders, we have a variety of views on this issue. 
And uh, I think most of you know by now that really my stance has been I, I lean a whole heck of a lot more towards God's sovereignty in all things. I, I just cannot detach myself from uh, this conviction that God is totally in control. He must be. If he is not, then I will spin out of control and all will be lost. I would have never come to him in the first place if God had not have graciously and sovereignly drawn me in. You know? And so uh, I've talked about this many times. It's nothing new. And I know we have folks in the room who, uh, who differ from me even on this issue. And I just want to restate it again for the record. That is okay. This is one of those areas where we can totally disagree on, you know, where we are on the spectrum of this issue. It is not ultimately a salvation issue. Are you trusting Christ? That's what I want to know. Are you trusting Christ for salvation? Whether you believe that that was entirely God's doing and work, or you believe that you cooperated with God in the matter, all I want to know is, are you trusting Christ for salvation? Amen? And I mean that. So as we deal with these things, and you know, I teach through these things and kind of share with you where I stand and why I stand there, I just ask for grace. I want this to be a grace place. Isn't that what this is? And I want to keep that. And so we gotta, we got to fight to the death to make this a grace place. we got to fight to the death to stay loving each other. Amen? That's another one of those divine mysteries. And so, anyway, so, you know, as I walk through these things, um, you know, as I just share my understanding of the Word of God and my convictions and, and how I see these things, you're definitely going to see that I hold to God as sovereign in all things. And, and I want to show you from the Word of God why I'm bound by the Scriptures to understand that. And I'm going to really delve into that as we go through the rest of John 6. But today I just want to take a step back and look at God's sovereignty on a, on a kind of a, a, a more major, you know, glimpse, scale, however you want to put it, as we consider the Word of God and, and kind of a 30,000-foot look at the sovereignty of God from the Word of God. Sound good? All right, so with that, let me say this. There are very clear scriptures, there are very clear statements in the Word of God about God that are very challenging for us. They are very challenging for us to accept, and they can make us very uncomfortable. And then we are tempted to dilute those scriptures or redefine very clear terms in order to make it say something other than what it actually says, because we ourselves can't, we just don't want to believe that. It's too hard for us and our finite minds to come to grips with certain things. I would say that's been the, the case for myself, you know. We deal with the doctrine of election. I feel like when you talk about election, it's pretty clear what election means, right? What are we doing when we elect? We choose. And so a lot of people, we get uncomfortable with this, and so it can't be that God chose me, it has to be that I chose God, and so we come up with, with all kinds of ways to explain away what election clearly teaches. I'll just give you an example. I've heard it said that election is this, God votes for you, Satan votes against you, and you cast the deciding vote. You know, that's clever, I'll, I'll give you that. But that's just not scriptural. And so 
I think that if we're not careful, we can begin to redefine very clear biblical terms and, and theological words because they make us uncomfortable. And we cannot do that, guys. We have to fight that temptation at all costs. We have to have the most biblically informed understanding of God that we possibly can. Because I've quoted this before, but I'll quote it again. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says, What comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we all have presuppositions and preconceived notions about who God is and what God is like. We do our best to let the Word of God inform that, but it can still be a really slippery slope. And we can have some misunderstandings about who God is and how God has revealed Himself to us from the Word of God, especially when we're dealing with things that are rather uncomfortable. Well, Tozer contends, he goes on to say, that worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So there it is. You know, depending on how we see God, do we see God as high and lifted up? Do we see God as holy, as totally in control, all-powerful, all-wise, executing His perfect plan, and absolutely nothing can stop Him? See, that's a high view of God. Or do we see God as subservient to the whims and the will of sinful men and women? Wishes that He could save, but He can't save. Wishes that he could execute his plan, but he is, he is bound, he is held back from doing so because the ball is in our court, so to speak. I don't, I don't see that as what the Scriptures teach as I seek to understand the Scripture more and more. So we have to resist the temptation to try to make God like us or make God do things the way that we would do things. You tracking with me? We, it's a real temptation. And we have to watch out for that because God is not like us, folks. He's not. He says that, Psalm 50, verse 21, These things you have done, and I have kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. And that's, that's heavy, isn't it? Listen to this, Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isn't that glorious? His thoughts are nothing like our own. Our thoughts are, are sin-tainted because our hearts are sin-tainted, sinful to the core. Jeremiah says our hearts are desperately sick. Who can even know or understand the depth of it? We can't. And so then we try with our sin-tainted thoughts and feelings and emotions to grapple with the hard truths of God, and that can be a dangerous thing. That can be a dangerous thing. Our God is in heaven. He does all that He pleases. Amen? And so with that, I just wanted to work through a few points, a few points, and uh, consider this. Two observations. One, that was the longest introduction that I've ever done in my life. 
And the mood in the room right now is extremely like heavy, man. It's like a very somber feeling in here. I usually try to crack some jokes and, you know, have a picture of a 7,000-pound sandwich up on the screen or, you know, something. But, uh, I, you know, this is just heavy. That's just all there is to it, you know. And, and it, it's Bible student time, and we got to put our, our, our Bible hats on today and for the next couple of weeks and think critically through these things. Amen? And so just hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. All right. So, recognizing that God is sovereign, we've talked about what that means, the definitions of sovereignty. I want to talk just a little bit, of, I want to talk a little bit about how God operates sovereignly. The scriptures are clear, God works sovereignly for his own pleasure. That is one of God's chief aims. He is doing his own will. He is working to the end that he may do what is most pleasing to himself. We're not the center of things, and God does not, you know, orbit around us. You get that, right? We understand that? Because I, I don't think that we live like that a lot of times. I have to check myself about that. God works for His own good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. I mean, just think about that one statement. God is working in you both to will, that is your desire, and to do. That's your ability to execute. And he does all of that for what? His own good pleasure. God is working in us to think and to live the way that is most pleasing to him. God gives us the ability to think the good thoughts, the right thoughts. He gives us the ability to live those things out. But it's all for his own pleasure. It's all for his own satisfaction, ultimately. Not exclusively, but ultimately. Isaiah 46.10 says, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. Psalm 115.3 says, But our God is in heaven, He does whatever He pleases. Now, that last verse there, that is in the context of idol worship. You have these inanimate objects here on earth, earthly objects, people carve out of wood and fashion out of stone and precious metals, and they say, this is my God. And they fall down before this thing. But ultimately, that, that object that they have created exists to serve their purposes, to serve their desires and their will, and to bring them prosperity, to bring them protection, to bring fertility to the family and to their flocks, right? So they're worshiping this God that they've created for themselves, but it is a God that cannot save. It is a God that cannot provide. It is no God at all. Now, God contrasts himself and says, you have your, you have your earthly figurines that you've fashioned, that you've created in your own likeness to serve your own purposes and your own pleasures, but I am a God who is alive and I am in heaven and I will do all my will. Our God is in heaven and he does what pleases him. Amen? And so we got to watch out for that. And sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that God exists to do our pleasures, to do our will. You know, I heard a pastor, I didn't hear it, this is a quote from a book of his. He says this, quote, when you're in difficult times, it's good to remind God of what you've done. God, I've kept my family in church. 
God, I've gone the extra mile to help others. I've given, I've served, I've been faithful. In your own time of need, you should call in those seeds that you've sown. See, if we're not careful, we can live like that. Just in case, that's not good. Just in case you didn't know that. That's bad. <laughs> and he's basically saying, I've done all of these things, so when, when times get hard, God, remember, I did this, 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 and this. You owe me. That's all bad, right? And then even worse, what about the person who didn't do that, that, that? What are they, you know, that kind of teaching is so poisonous because if we're, if we, you know, that's that person, I mean, let's just think about, let's unpack that for a second. This person is saying, I deserve, give me. Do we really want what we deserve? No, we don't. And so that just goes to show there's, the thinking is all twisted here. And, and then for the person who hasn't done those things, if, if that is their hope, what hope is there? I got nothing because I haven't done all of those things. And so really, our hope has to be in God. We have to recognize that we cannot call God uh, into our, our service. He's not a, a debtor to us. And He does not live and function and operate to serve all of our needs and pleasures and will, he ultimately sovereignly works for his own good pleasure. And we should be living to that end, living a life that is pleasing to God, living for his pleasure. I will uh, sometimes think about that. The Bible uses that language, that, that uh, our lives would be like a sweet-smelling aroma rising to the heavens, very pleasing to God, right? A sweet-smelling aroma. We know what that's like. Smell some good, good barbecue cooking, something like that. And you're like, mmm, that's good. You know, that's what I, I want my life to be like that for God. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want Him to say, that's my servant. He is serving me. He is serving my will at my pleasure. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that what we're, that's what we're living for as Christians, right? For His pleasure, not our own. Well, moving forward, another one. God works sovereignly for His own glory. God is very concerned about His own great name, His own authority, His own reputation. That is a very big motivator for God. God works to that end. Let me read to you Isaiah 48, verse 9 and 11. It says, For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. Or how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. So God's saying, you deserve my wrath, and I'm going to withhold it, not because you are not deserving of it, but for my own name's sake, that I would be praised for mercy and for grace. That is the ultimate end to which God saves and defers His wrath is to the praise of His glorious grace so that His great name would be exalted. Amen? He says so. He says it again in Ezekiel 36. He says, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Picking up a theme here? 
God does what He does ultimately for His own great glory, for His own name's sake. When God gives mercy, when God extends grace, it's to the glory and praise of His name. Psalm 23. We know these verses. We like these verses. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. Have you ever caught that before? As you look through those verses, God does all of that. All of that for us, but ultimately for His name's sake. For His great name. For His own glory. So God works sovereignly for His own pleasure, ultimately, and He works sovereignly for His glory. For His glorious name. And it truly is glorious. And we get to live to make His name great. To reflect the glory of God. Amen? As the, the moon reflects the, the light of the sun, that's, that's really, as we know Christ and we know God and we are zealous for His glory and we're living in obedience to Him, we are reflecting God to a lost and dying world and ultimately He is glorified. That's the goal of the Christian. It's not glory to me. It's not all glory to my name. It's glory to Jesus, glory to God, glory to His great name. Amen? He's a big God. He's worthy to be praised. His name is great. Well, God works sovereignly for His own purposes. God has His own purposes. Nothing will thwart that. Amen? Nothing will thwart that. Job 42, 2. It says, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. No purpose of God can be withheld from Him. You know, God is truly the only free being in existence. God is the only truly free being in all of existence. We are not free. Our, 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 our wills are enslaved by sin outside of Christ. We are dead in trespass and sin, totally separated from God, slaves, the Bible says, dead, blind. I mean, that's, that's a pretty bad situation. Then God takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, and then we are set free. And Jesus says, whom the Son sets free, what? Free. Is free indeed. And so... Even still, though, we are in the flesh, and the battle for holiness begins, it commences, and we spend the rest of our lives fighting against this force, this, this sin nature, this, this flesh that we are bound by, and we are surrounded by this world which hates God, and we have this enemy, Satan, who hates God and hates us, and we spend all of our lives fighting this fight. God is free from all of that. God is totally free from all of that. He can truly, truly do as He pleases. And it is good, and it is right, and it is just, and it is perfect. And He is in no way thwarted by anything at all. Amen? Amen. That's the good news, that God is truly free. 
Isaiah 46, 11, it says, Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. When God purposes something, He's going to do it. Nothing can stop Him. And here He says that He calls uh, a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel, I'm not mistaken, I think he's talking about Cyrus, the king. Even this king, Cyrus, Persian king, yes, yes, Cyrus was a Persian king. Okay, my wife, she's the history buff. She knows these things. And so, just want to fact check me here on the spot. And so, even Cyrus was subservient to God's will. The, The whole earth looks at a king like that and thinks he's the sovereign. But he's not. He answers to the sovereign God. And God said, I will call even him to execute my will. Even kings and kingdoms have to bow down to the sovereign God. Isn't that what it says in Proverbs 21.1? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. I love that verse. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. God turns it, like the channels of water, wherever he wishes. We know the story of Nebuchadnezzar, remember? He thought he was something. And I mean, he was the most powerful man in the world. He was a dangerous guy. We'll never understand the kind of power that this man wielded. We won't. But God humbled him. God humbled him to the lowest place. And when he came back to his senses and had been broken, and he began to exalt God, he says this in Daniel chapter 4, "...for his dominion is an everlasting dominion." And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand. And no one can say to him, what have you done? Our God does what he pleases in heaven and on earth. Nobody can say to him, what have you done? Nobody can stay his hand. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing to him. He is free. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is wise. He is loving. He is good. And his plan will be accomplished. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, God works sovereignly for our good. God works sovereignly for our good. You know, God is powerful, He is wise, He is sovereign, but you know what? He's loving, He's kind, He's merciful, He's good. And those things are in no way juxtaposed to one another. You like that? Juxtaposed. They're not. They're not juxtaposed to one another. You know, um, I heard it said, someone asked Spurgeon, how do you reconcile man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And he said, I have no need to reconcile friends. You know? It's, a, it's a, a marvelous mystery. And God, though He is sovereign and He has His glorious plan, and it is ultimately for His own great name and glory, it's also for our good. God is for our good. God is for your good. Do you know that? If you are here today, God is for your good. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God is for your good. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I believe that God is drawing you even now. You wouldn't be here if He wasn't. Amen? 
God is showing you grace right now. God is showing you great mercy right now as the Word of God goes forth. And what is, how does He work sovereignly for our own good? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and, and this is the New American Standard, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So sweet. And then he says this, so how does he cause all things to work together? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen to this. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That is so sweet. That, that, and God does all of that. God does all of that. That, that. that reaches back into eternity past, whom God foreknew He predestined, and then it, it goes right into time and space, here and now, these He called and justified, and then it goes into eternity future where it says that He glorified. God did all of that, and in God's mind, God's eyes, it's already done. He's outside of time and space. This is His will. He has set it into motion. Absolutely nothing can or will stop it. Man, that is good. And God is sovereign in all of those things, and it is for our good. Amen? Amen. Well, let me, one last text, and we'll close with this. I want to tie all of this together. So we've looked into the Old Testament. We've seen several scriptures that, that outline for us how God works for His own purposes, for His own glory. For his own pleasure. And uh, this is totally consistent through the New Testament. We saw it obviously here in Romans 28. Jesus talks about it in John 6 and John 10. But I just want to read to you Ephesians chapter 1. And I want us to look at this with a brand new perspective, with, with kind of fresh eyes, if you will, after we've considered all of these things from God's Word about God and see that it all comes together right here. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'll read it. You can turn there if you would like, but I'll, uh, I'll read it to us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then he begins to unfold for us what these spiritual blessings are. Verse 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There it is. We were chosen in Christ by God before the world itself was even created. Why? He says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, Having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. Why? According to the good pleasure of His will. You see that? God did that according to the good pleasure of His will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. You see that? 
God did that. He chose us, adopted us, justified us in love according to the good pleasure of His own will and to the praise of His glory and grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 11, In Him also we obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to what? The purpose of Him. Who does what? Works all things according to the counsel of His will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be what? To the praise of His glory. Man, do you see that? It just screams right off the page at you. God does all of these things. Now, what, what does He do? He chooses us that we should be what? Holy. That's sanctified. That's set apart. That means that we are positionally righteous before God. He says that we would be without blame. That's justified. He justifies us. He makes us right with God, declared innocent. He does all this in love. What else does He do? He predestines us to adoption. He didn't just forgive us. He made us sons and daughters of God. We are the family of God. Amen? He didn't just say, you're forgiven, now get out of here. Don't sin again. No, He says, you're forgiven and you're my child. You are in the family of God. He says this was to the praise of His glorious grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. There it is. We've been united with Christ. We are in Jesus. We are in Christ and He is in us. That is why all of His accomplishments are accredited to our account because we are in Him and He is in us. In Christ, united to the Son, accepted in Him, in the Beloved. And we have obtained an inheritance, a heavenly inheritance. And all of this is in love by God, predestined as He chose us. It is all to the praise of His glorious grace. It is according to His purposes and according to the counsel of His own will. Amen? Look, God's sovereign. He's in control of all things. Man, I don't know about you, I lean on God's sovereignty all the time. If I'm going through hardship, God's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's good. I don't understand it all, but I know He's going to bring me through it. And I know that His purposes will prevail. God is sovereign. Maybe there's something that's really exciting in my life, and I'm hoping so badly will come to pass, and I can't control it. I can't bring it to pass. You know what I have to encourage myself with? God's sovereign. He's in control. If He wants this good thing to happen, it's going to happen. God's sovereign. Amen? If we are praying for somebody who we desperately want to see come to faith in Christ, God's sovereign. He can break through a hardened heart. Why do we pray for God to act if God is not free to act? Why do we pray that God would cause a, a professor to look favor, favorable upon, favorably upon one of our assignments if God can't move upon that person's heart to look favorably upon one of our assignments? You get what I'm saying? So God's sovereignty, is, it's a glorious thing. When we mess up, brothers and sisters, hear me. When we mess up, God is sovereign. He's good. He can work it all together for His good purposes. And He can receive glory from it and He can sanctify us because of it. When we think that we cannot go another day, we are struggling, we don't have the strength within us, we're never going to make it to the end, God is sovereign. He began that good work. He's going to see it through to the very end. Nothing can stop Him, not even ourselves. 
The sovereignty of God, it's a refuge for the Christian. It's a strong tower that we run into. It's the hope of the believer. It's our, it's our only hope. What hope do we have if not for the sovereignty of God? Amen? So this shouldn't be something that we get upset about or argue over or try to redefine or make it something less than it is. God has revealed Himself as such, and He deserves to be glorified for every good thing that He reveals to us. Amen? He deserves to be glorified for His sovereignty. Thank God that He's a sovereign God. And God's sovereignty, we have a reason to worship because He's a big God. We have a high view. In God's sovereignty, we can be grateful because He first loved us. In God's sovereignty, we can be humble. No arrogance, no pride because we realize that it was all Him and none of us. In God's sovereignty, we can be encouraged that God can use us even in our weakness and failures. In God's sovereignty, we can have great boldness in the power of prayer. In God's sovereignty, we can have great hope that God can reach the most hardened of sinners. In God's sovereignty, we have great assurance to know that He will see us through to the end. In God's sovereignty, we have great joy that God will use us for His glory, for His great name. And in God's sovereignty, we have great love for the God who set His love on us. Amen? He's worthy to be praised. He's sovereign. And I believe that God's moving in here today. Jacoby, if you want to come on up. I believe that God is moving here right now, sovereignly. God has demonstrated His great love, has He not? The Bible says that even while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. We come to a place in our lives where we realize we must have God. We need Him. What we've been doing isn't working. Our life is a wreck. Or maybe our life is totally full. We have everything a person could ever want, but even still we know something's not right. Something is truly missing. We realize that there is a God. He's good. And that's just the problem because we're not good. And that we're in trouble if we ever had to stand before this God on our own merits and give an account for our lives, we would be in big trouble. We'd have to answer to a holy God. A God who is a just God. But God is love. Amen? God is kind. God made a way when there did not seem to be a way. God paid the highest price. God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that none of us in this room have ever or will ever be able to live. And then Jesus died the death that every one of us in here deserved to die. He died that so that we wouldn't have to. So that we wouldn't have to suffer under the just wrath of Almighty God. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath there on Calvary's tree. He died. He rose again from the grave, declaring victory over sin and death. And now the invitation has been given. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen? Does it Romans 10 say that we must believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead? And whoever does that will be saved. 
Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? So I want to give an opportunity right now. So I want to ask us all to close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we love you so much. And some of these things are just far beyond our ability to reconcile or make sense of. It truly is a challenging issue. But one thing we know is that you are good. You are God. There is none like you. Declaring the end from the beginning. Thank you that seeing our greatest need, you paid the highest price and you secured salvation for us if we would only believe. And I trust, Lord, there are people here today who have not known you in that way. They haven't believed Jesus. They haven't come to a place where they cried out and said, God, I need you. Forgive me. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for me and rose again from the grave. I want to follow him. I don't know what all that means right now, but this I know. I need you. And so I just want to give an invitation. If there's anybody in this room right now, you know that's you. You know that you need God's good gift in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to raise your hand. You've never trusted Jesus for salvation before, but today is the day. You feel God pulling on your heart. I want to encourage you. Raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to know Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to know God and walk with Him. Anybody at all? Okay. Father, we praise You. I thank You, God, for all of the people in this room that have been touched by You, who have been made alive in Christ, who have been brought out of darkness into light, and who are walking as new creations in Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We give you honor. We give you glory because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.